to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. You can read with me from Mark 3, verse 13 to 16. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Sorry, it's only to verse 15. And what we see there is, first and foremost, Jesus goes, this is where he calls his first disciples. Well, actually, that's the next scripture. But here he goes, and he calls these guys to him. You see a couple of things that happen here. Is first of all, Jesus calls them, and they respond immediately, and they come to him. And it's interesting to note there the first purpose of why Jesus called them to him, and he designated them apostles, that they might be with him. We think that automatically when Jesus calls us to him, that there is a hidden agenda. And it's not so hidden, actually. The first and foremost reason why Jesus calls us to him is so that we might be with him. To know him. And what happens when we spend time with Jesus? We become more like him. Have you ever found that you become more like the people that you spend time with? For those that are married, you become, you even start looking like one another. Jade, hopefully you're not going to grow a beard or anything. But, <laughs> but, it's, but it's funny, like, you, you, have the, you have the same sayings, you have the same almost accents, you, you, just, you just do the same things. The more time you spend together, uh, the more you become like those people. And it's the same with, as we spend time with Jesus, the more we become like him. And the good thing is that Jesus is not going to change. So he's not going to become more like us. And that's, that's a good thing, I think. Should, surely. Um, but then he also, then he says, and that they, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. And so many times I see how people stop at the being with Jesus part. And don't translate it into and send them out to go and preach and drive out demons. And, and it and it's typically comes, comes through a lot in, um, I don't know what the right word necessarily, I can't, can't really say traditional thinking, but maybe more um, r- religious thinking in terms of where we are used to receiving ministry at church and it's the preacher's work to do the work of the ministry. And, G- and uh, Jesus, he needed a very good sermon in the beginning of the year, not Jesus, maybe Jesus through Henny, um, about every member being a minister, and he unpacked that whole concept. But we need to often just translate the coming to Jesus over into a being sent out. And I'm going to sound like a slightly broken record maybe this morning. And the context is, is where Jesus calls us, and then he sends us. He, he gathers us to him, and then he scatters us back into the world. He says, come to me, 
and then he sends us back out into the world. So there's a coming and there's a going, there's a calling and a sending, and there's a gathering together and there's a scattering out back into the world. And the snowball effect that I'm getting at today is, is that the one feeds into the other. The more you come to Jesus, inevitably, unless you put the handbrake on, it's going to cause you to go back out. You going back out is going to cause you to come back to Jesus over and over and over again. And the effect there is, is that it has the snowball effect because as you go out, you reach more people. As more people are reached, more people reach more people. And it has this kind of a snowball effect. Um, and we're going to just unpack it a little bit. Read with me from Matthew 4, verse 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And for most of us here, we've received that invitation where Jesus came to us and said, Come, follow me. Maybe you've not responded to that invitation, or maybe that's the first time you're hearing it this morning. But Jesus is saying that, come, follow me. And the first reason why he says it is so that you may be with him. And the, our first natural reaction is when we think that God wants to start using us, we look at our own fallibilities. We look at everything that we messed up with. And if we look, just to look at the story of where Jesus talks at the, with the woman at the well, he starts engaging with her, and she has this encounter with Jesus where Jesus talks into her life. The, the, the woman that, where Jesus said that you have five, five husbands and the one that you're with now at the moment isn't your husband, etc. This whole dialogue with her. What happened there? What was her first reaction after she realized what was going on? She went back into the village and, and called the whole village to come and, to come and meet Jesus. That is what our natural, or not natural, that is almost, that's a supernatural reaction. She did not go and think. The whole town knew that she, she had multiple husbands, but she wasn't phased by that because she encountered life and she wanted other people to encounter life. Anyway, so what I want to encourage you with, what we often do is we start looking at our fallibilities. We look at, like, yeah, but I can't speak well, like Moses. Like, uh, um, and we, we come up with these excuses and there is perhaps certain limitations to what I'm saying, but I want to say the majority of the limitations is mostly in our heads. When Jesus calls us to him, his presence is in us. And the amazing thing is about Jesus calling us to him is that when he sends us back out, the promise of his presence is with us as well. And that's why I, I believe that people that are in church for years and years and years start getting bored is because they missed the link of where Jesus said, now follow me. He's not in the building anymore. He's gone out there into your workplace. Or he's gone out into the street. Or he's gone to the movies with your other buddies. Um, but there's purpose involved. Okay, he didn't go to watch a movie just for the sake of watching a movie, but you get what I'm, what I'm saying. And here's the other thing. As Jesus says to his disciples, he, he realizes that we have... We don't know everything. So he says to his disciples, I will make you fishers of men. 
What does is, what is I will make you translate in your head? Meaning they are not, yet Jesus is going to do a process with them and they are going to become. And I will make you fishers of men. Who's engineers here? Hands up. There's a lot of engineers. <laughs> Who are CAs or accountants? Yeah. So normally the CAs and accountants are a little more reserved. They're just like... <laughs> <laughs> Where's the lawyers? Only one. No, there's more. Maybe they're not here today. Teachers. What's that, Wendy? <laughs> Teachers. Yeah. What I want to say is, when Jesus calls you, in the midst of your occupation, Jesus is saying, walking into your world, and they were fishermen, and you were a teacher but he will make you into a teacher to train other people to, to follow God. I won't say teacher of men because you teach men. <laughs> but you will teach men to follow Jesus. If you're an accountant, you'll be an accountant that teaches other people to follow Jesus. If you're an engineer, you're going to become a, an engineer that teaches other people to follow Jesus. You're going to be fishing in the places where you are currently at anyways. And too often we think that when we, when we hear calling, we think vocational ministry. We think pulpit ministry. We think I need to be paid by the church, or etc. And that is not primarily what, what Jesus is calling over our lives. If you're a, if you're, um, for, the mom, for the moms in the house who, who, who is raising their kids, um, you are a, a mother reaching and teaching other people to follow Jesus your own children, but other people as well. You as a mother can engage with certain members of our community um, above the corporates, above me as a, a pastor standing in the front, etc. There's just, there's just, we are all wired differently and we are all engaged in society at different levels. And whatever it is where God has placed you now, there's an opportunity to build bridges to the hearts of the people whom you actually can relate with the most. Another thing I just want to bring to your attention there is, is at once they left their nets and followed him. We often, when Jesus tells us something, we want to go and fast and pray and fast and pray and fast and pray whether we must do something. And there is a place of being certain, but there's, I have found the times when I get the most certainty is when I make a decision and then step out in faith. Whether it's to go or whether it's to stay. I can stay very boldly <laughs> and in faith. And we should. We shouldn't feel like uh, I'm not going to go out. I feel actually I should be going out, but I'm rather going to stay. I'm going to stay in faith. That's not how it works. You respond in obedience to what God says. Um, if you feel God saying you stay, then there's a peace. And then, then the opinion of man doesn't count. Just, just one side note here. How, like Jesus says, come to me. This, obviously, to his disciples, they could physically come to Jesus, right? He was in the room, or he was next to the boat. And they could come to him physically. When Jesus tells, calls us, come, follow me, how, how do we practically do that? Hmm? Quiet time, yeah, quiet time, but he's still not physically there. Yes, there's an element of where we do it in the Spirit, eh? Yes. Who of you 
came to salvation through somebody else. Somebody else praying with you or somewhere at a church or probably 90% at the least. Is these days when Jesus says that come to me, there's, a, there's an invitation to come to his body. He's, he's the head with the body. We his hands and his feet. Now, obviously, we don't find our salvation in the people we come to. But there's an invitation to, to when we come together, that there's a, that there's a community element that, that Jesus is. How do, how do we learn how to follow Jesus? In community, in a church kind of a setup. When we, come, when, we, when we come to follow Jesus, when we talk about make you fishers of men, there's an element where that happens in church. And how do we get to know Jesus? There's primarily... The water is still there. Um, there's primarily three ways how we get to know Jesus. It's through His Word. You're referring to quiet time. It's through His Spirit. And through His church. Is there anything that I would left out? Now the Spirit enables us to get to know Jesus through the Word as well. And the Spirit enables us to get to know Jesus through the church. Through the Spirit, it's going to be dead. Relatively dead. Otherwise it's going to become head knowledge. Yeah, I'm going to, I need to move a little bit quicker. And the thing is that when, when we become like Jesus, there's three areas of our lives that needs to become like Jesus, if, holistically. And Henny refers to it often as head, heart, and hands. In our thinking, we need to become like Jesus. In our hearts, in our character, we need to become like Jesus. From the motives of how we do things, we need to become like Jesus. And then our hands, what we do, need to become like Jesus. And I often see that people want to become like Jesus in their thinking and in their character, but they don't necessarily want to do what Jesus does. Some of us can relate to that. Those who relate to it too strongly is not nodding their heads. <laughs> um, but it's true. Like we, we're comfortable with serving somebody, serving, and we're comfortable with serving somebody with food, and we're comfortable with giving finances. Maybe sometimes to the church or giving finances for for other people to do it. But when it comes to me actually talk, sharing the gospel to somebody or praying for somebody to get healed or for somebody to get delivered of from demons. Then we start getting slightly more, like, uh, I don't want to become like Jesus quite like that. Um, but there's that invitation of that, as there's a progressive of us being made more and more like him. You're all still with me? Yeah, just the next verse, where Jesus calls the other disciples, from verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with his, their father Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed, followed them. And I'm going to go through that just a lot quicker than, than the previous one. I just want to get to just the added point here, is that when they left, they left what defined them socially and economically. They were fishermen. They were known. And typically in the Jewish culture, you do the trade what your father does. So they, they, they walked away from what the cultural norm was to follow Jesus. And they also left their father there. 
And it's interesting to me how I, uh, I speak to people, and, and often people don't want to be obedient to God sometimes when it is against the will of their own natural parents. Um, like baptism, for example. Um, we get convicted that we should get baptized, but what, am, what are my parents going to think? Because they baptized me when I was a baby. And, and I see that this, there's this clash sometimes of, okay, but the Bible says that we must honor our parents. True. I mean, obedience to what God tells us to do does not trump the other. You need to read the two scriptures in context. He says that, um, I'll read it later, but we need to be able to, to, to leave behind our sentimental attachments in that, in, in, in that way, of our sentimental attachments to our parents, sentimental attachments to our cultures, to our province that we support, um, can I hear an amen? Because only the Bulls had won this weekend, right? Um, <laughs> I'm not a Bulls fan. Um, but I've walked away from my sentimental attachment of my province, okay? Um, sorry, I just sidetracked myself very wrong. Anyways, if you're a teacher, there's an invitation where Jesus says you walk away from being a, defined as a teacher and you're being defined as a child of God. Now, for most part, God doesn't necessarily call us out of being a teacher, if you're a teacher, from our vocational places. He actually just sends us back into those places, just from our other place of what are we defined with. And the, the, thing, the point that I just want to make here is that, that we need to be obedient to God first and foremost. And then, we, then the rest follows. And just referring to my own testimony, when I got baptized uh, with water post-salvation, there's a way of how you can still honor your parents. And I went to them and I, I said, like, Mom, Dad, um, I feel God is leading me to get baptized. And I realized that when, when I was a child that you baptized me, etc., and I honor that, and I honor the principle of that. You made a commitment to God that you're going to raise me to the best of your ability, and I honor that, and I thank you for that. However, this is what I feel God is leading me to do right now. And you can still do that in an honoring way. You can still go against it. They can kick against it and they, can, they say, no, I don't want you to do it. But that is still, you can still do that in an honoring way. And not like in an arrogant way. Ah, mom, that what you did was wrong. That's not baptism. That is not in an honoring way. It is like, I honor what you did. And I honor the heart from where you did it from. But this is what I feel God is leading me to do. And um, yeah, it's amazing how God just intervenes in those circumstances as well. Okay, Matthew 11. You've got to be yoking. Have anybody seen the, anybody seen the Leon Schuster movie? You, you, you must be joking. Similar to that, okay? You have to be yoking. All right, otherwise this is going to fall flat. Okay, um, Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's the same picture here of Jesus saying, come to me, learn from me. You're going to become like me if you spend time with me. Yoke with me. What is a yoke? Is that thing that they put over oxen or donkeys, etc.? Um, and, and there's, when you yoke something together, what they do is 
they lock purpose together. And inevitably, we want to try and pull in a different direction. We are going to take strain. So Jesus is just saying, like, just relax, just relax. Just yoke with me. When you stop kicking against where I'm going, you will find rest. Now, sometimes we put other burdens and other yokes on us, and we, we try and do both. And, and, and that's where Jesus is saying, like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and I can just so testify about that. When, when I know that I'm busy with what God wants me to be busy with, it's amazing how light you feel, how you find joy in what you do, even if it's like grafting and it's hard work. But if you know that you're doing with what God wants you to be busy with, what is the standard, <laughs> maybe not the standard, but what is one of the standard ways of how people respond to you when you ask them how's it going these days, especially in our congregation? Busy. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the responses. Yeah, like, and, and, I, and I do that as well. Like, yes, no, how's it going? No, it's crazy busy. What, what, is, what, is, what, are, what kind of an answer that doesn't say how it's going with you? It tells you what you're busy doing. All right? Now, what I've learned is to start verbalizing why it's just going beyond just the busy. Because in Johannesburg, we, we tend to be busy. The question is just, what are we busy with? Are we busy with what God wants us to be busy, busy with? Busy with? Um, are we busy with what God wants us to be busy with? Or are we not? And if we are busy with what God wants us to be busy with, then there's a, there's a lightness and there's a rest that we experience in that because God's presence is with us. Yes, we're going to get tired. Yes, you're going to fall asleep in the middle of the night. Yo, Christine hurt her back while we, was, while we were on holiday. Some of you know this. And uh, so she can't, she can't pick up Amy Louise out of the cot. So at night, so we started sleep training. Um, so I'm, I'm sleeping through now. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so, I, I mean, so I go and I, I pick her up. And we use, like she used to fed still at night, but now we stopped that. Um, so, but she still wakes up at night, so I try to just calm her down. And, but in that time when, she's, when I put her back in bed and she's still crying and then you leave her for two minutes and you go and you leave her for three minutes. And you go. So in those times when in between, I don't want to go get back into bed and wake Christine up accidentally. So I just lie on the, on, on, on the bed that is in Amy Louise's room or on the couch. And the first night I fell asleep on the bed. I don't know whether Amy Louise fell asleep first or whether I fell asleep first. I, I don't know. But I woke up five in the morning, and it was—I I did not have a blanket over me, and it was pretty cold. Um, why am I saying this? Um, doing what God has called you to do. I've—I've I've had, I've had significantly less sleep in the last two weeks, but I can't tell you how fulfilling it is to know that what you're busy doing is that you're yoking with Jesus whether it's without a blanket or with a blanket. Um, I, that is what I know God has called me to do right now, is to look after my family and then the other things work-wise, ministry-wise. Those are the things that I know God has called us to do. Okay, let's move on. Gather and scatter. Uh, Rick Russo, one of the speakers at Convergence, he talks about this gathering and scattering. And uh, it's, 
and, and I'm going to read this in the context also of, of the harvest, and, and it's a different picture as well of where we gather the harvest and where we scatter seed, but that's not the one that I'm going for here. It's still in the context of coming and going, coming to Jesus, coming to church, and going and being sent back out into the world. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And we quote that one often. We're like, Lord, send out harvesters into your harvest field. And then we say, full stop. But if you just read the next verse, what does Jesus do? Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. He teaches them to pray, to send out harvesters into the harvest field. Next verse, he says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease. And then he, there's a host of instructions that, that Jesus gives them. So what Jesus does is, in us, praying for the harvest. What happens? We see the harvest. What happened when Jesus saw the harvest? He had compassion on them. So if we can see people around us the way Jesus sees them, what's going to happen is we're going to get compassion for them. And that's going to compel us to share the life that Jesus shared in our lives with them. So if you walk into your, into your office and you really don't have a heart for those people, okay? your boss or people under you, etc. I encourage you, start praying for them. Start asking Jesus to give you the eyes to see them the way that He sees them. What that is going to cause is it's going to cause compassion in your heart, and you're going to look past the peripheral stuff, and you're going to start seeing the person for who he or she is. And it's going to start compelling you like, Lord, this person doesn't know you. I want him to know you. I want him to have the life that I have. And then we're going to pray from a completely different, from a diff- completely different place. I'm going to just leapfrog through that uh, Matthew 10 um, chapter. But you can go and read it. Jesus gives them very specific instructions. In verse 5, he says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. It's interesting in that context, Jesus gives them specific instructions about who do you go to, who do you not go to. He says, this is going to happen. If people persecute you, then this. If this, then that. He gives them a whole, that whole chapter is just about Jesus giving them very specific instructions what to expect and, wh- and the what ifs about you going. If you go into a town, do this. If, if they reject you, then do this. If they accept you, then do this. He gives them a whole host of instructions. And and I want you to encourage you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to when God sends us back out from, this, from here today, to, to remain sensitive to what Jesus is saying in terms of specific instruction. Because we all know like Jesus is sending us back out, but how do we go back? How do we go out? We all gather here, okay? Otherwise you wouldn't have been here, okay? You all gathered in case you didn't know. You all came here in case you didn't know. And we are all going to go from here. What you're going to do when you go depends on you. But also, there's specific instructions the Holy Spirit sometimes say. And it's not limited to an event. I remember going on missions to India 2005 or six, when I was a student. And came back, was in Cape Town and came back to Johannesburg, Pretoria. 
for the rest of the holiday. And I was sitting on the plane next to a guy that I used to play cricket with. And I was in a neighboring town. Um, and he was also studying in Stellenbosch. And I just feel the Holy Spirit is just saying, talk to him. And my, my thought is like, I just came from a mission. Um, I, I, I just did that. <laughs> kind of a thing. We limited to an event. I'm like, Jesus, really? I, this is two hours. Really? Um, and good evangelism story is always on a plane. Um, but anyway, so, so I thought, okay, I, so he's sort of like dozing away, falling asleep. And so I, I, t- I tell God, all right, if you wake him up and he start talking to me, then I will talk to him. <laughs> I was not a minute later, he starts getting fidgety. And I just get this grin on my face and uh, he sits up. So I look at him, I'm like, you uncomfortable? <laughs> yeah, no, very much. Well, no, I said, you can't sleep. So yeah, no, I'm very uncomfortable. Anyway, so he started talking automatically about what did you do the holiday? And I just came from a two-week mission trip in India, so that is a very nice intro into the conversation of the gospel. Anyway, so um, what I just wanted to say with that is, God, some, don't limit the going to events. Don't limit it to church events. Don't limit it to a mission trip. Don't limit it to when we do Go Josie. We go back into the world from Monday to Sunday. And we gather every now and then as a community. On Sunday mornings we gather. On Wednesday evenings we gather. If you're doing Bible school, you gather there as well. Maybe you gather with your friends. But what I've learned is that the going complements the coming. If you take a friend that doesn't know Jesus to small group, can guarantee you your focus for small group is going to be different. If you bring a friend to church that doesn't know Jesus, I can guarantee you you're going to pray slightly more for that church service than what you would normally do. It was like, oh God, may they not just do the weird stuff today. (laughs) Uh, You all prayed that prayer. (laughs) But we pray that they really encounter Jesus, authentic Jesus. Um, and, and what that does is if, if somebody comes to Jesus, what does that do to your faith? Somebody that you prayed for, what does it do to your faith? It makes you alive. You, it's almost as if you just got saved again. You relive the event of your own salvation because you see somebody else for the first time, their eyes open and see Jesus for who he is. It's like when Elaine... Amy Louise almost there, gave her first step. He's like, whoa. And you're like, Christine, where are you? You, you want to share it with someone. And that's where when, when, when God does something in us and through us, we want to share it with someone. There's that, that excitement. Nothing worse than watching the Rugby World Cup, the Springboks win, and you're sitting alone on the couch. <laughs> Um, well, what might have been worse is not watching it, but um, there's, there's, there's just an exponential element of joy and celebration when you can share that moment with someone. Now, the awesome thing about somebody else coming to Christ is that you're automatically sharing that moment with that person. But it's amazing if you, if, if you gathered your whole small group around to pray for this specific person. If that person comes to Jesus, your whole small group celebrates. 
because they were all praying for that person to you. It's, it is amazing. And, and that is what this snowball effect does. As when we come together and when we come to Christ, it causes us to go back out. It should, at least. And what I've seen, and, and many Christians get frustrated with this. They come, they come, they come, they come, they come, they come. And they're like, is there nothing new? Like, it's just, you need to go now. Um, and and we, sometimes we phrase it differently. It's like we, we get fat and we never go and give to other people. We receive, we receive, we receive, but we never go and give to other people. And the problem there is, and I can guarantee you, the moment, it's almost, do you know what a rice cookie is? Not a rice cake. Um, what is it that we eat in India? Albert, help me out. Those flat rice cakes. Hey? Anyway, they, in India they make these rice cakes, but they, they take normal rice and they just compact it like into thing like this. And what happens is, if you eat that, the moment it hits your stomach, it, it expands. Um, that wasn't the point. What was the point? <laughs> um, oh, yes. There was the form, there was the form of the thing that, that got me there. Like, what happens sometimes is that, that our snowball looks like that. It's like we, we hinge on this thing, like on the coming side the whole time. We come, we come, we come, we come. I can guarantee you, the moment you kick over that rice cake, it's going gonna, it's gonna to tip over and it's going to gain momentum and the shape is going to start changing and your own momentum is going to change. There's a momentum. It's almost like breathing. It's almost like a rhythm. It's, it's like you, you receive and you give and you receive and you give. And, and, and people that get frustrated is people that just go... <laughs> and then like... When they give, is the and and then they, and then they tie because now and the thing is that there's a rhythm that God wants us to get into. Come to Him continuously. Come together continuously. Go out. Come. Go. Come. Go. Come. Go. Gather. Scatter. Being called. Being sent. And the amazing thing is, like I said, is that God's presence is with us in the gathering and in the scattering. And the problem is with coming together as a, in a setting like this is that what Jesus does here is not as powerful if you listen to the sermon over the internet than what you are actually present. I won't go into the details of the why. It's just it's sort of like you can only receive something at a certain place if you are there when it is given. Now, you can also still do that. You receive that over, over a podcast, etc. But it's just different. Um, and I believe that the presence of God has got something very significantly to do with that. I'm going to start finishing off here. Give me five minutes. Jesus says here in the middle of all of those instructions, He says, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And I want to tell you that as you go from here today, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. When you go to your workplace, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. God has given you authority to heal sick. He's given you authority to drive out demons. 
He's given you authority to raise the dead. All I just want to just throw in as an added there, Jesus gave a lot of specific instructions. Engage with what the Holy Spirit is saying. Ask the Holy Spirit for instruction. Ask the Holy Spirit for strategy. We're living in a, we're living in a world which is hostile to, to the Word that we have inside of us, to the presence of God. Jesus, and part of the conversation says there, the world will hate you because they hated me first. So don't come back to Jesus after you went out the first time and somebody said, get away from me, I don't ever want to talk to you again. Like, Jesus, what happened? Like, I told you it's going to happen. <laughs> um, but the presence of God is with us as we go, and He's given us authority. Now, just a word of caution here. Like, be wise. Okay? You can present the gospel in a wise way, and you can present it in a foolish way. Partner, and it's not the, 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 the main aim of today's sermon, but partner with the Holy Spirit where you are going. Okay? The Holy Spirit is your helper, and He is the one that anoints you to do this. And engage with Him. Okay? If you have a very important meeting, and this is on the one side, is preaching the gospel, but there's, there's practical things that the Holy Spirit anoints you to do in your workplace. Like how to solve this problem. How to deal with this client. Not even just on a... Uh, how to deal with these children for the teachers. Um, how to raise my kids. There's, there's a partnership with the Holy Spirit that we can, where we engage with. It's not just the preaching of the gospel, but where it's on practical elements about day-to-day things. Okay, the snowball effect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with these last two slides. And you can, uh, we'll, we'll put the slides at the, on, the, on the website as well. It says this, you'll see the snowball effect where in Matthew 4, Jesus calls the two brothers, Peter and, what's his brother? James. Who was his brother? Oh, Andrew. Peter and Andrew. And then Jesus calls the other ten disciples as well, Mark chapter 3, or he calls all twelve to himself. Then Jesus sends them out. Matthew 11 or Luke 9, same sort of account. Then Jesus appoints and sends out 72 others. Where did that 72 others come from? Somewhere along the line, they encountered Christ as they were walking. Now, I don't know, Scripture doesn't say whether it is anybody that, when, the, when He sent the 12 disciples, it doesn't say whether it's any of them. Um, so whether it's any of them that they reached or whether it's Jesus Himself just drawing them, He appoints 72 others and He sends them out. What happens in Acts chapter 2? when Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, immediately after that, like Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd saying, what's going on here? 3,000 people come into Christ. There's this, there's this snowball effect and, and this is where we pick up this, this specific story. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And a couple of verses further, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
It's an amazing snowball effect what this, uh, what this is. They came together as regularly as they possibly could. Cultural setting was different than ours. It's not always practical for us to get together daily. But they came together as much as they possibly could. And they were, and they were rejoicing in God. And when there are people in our midst coming to Christ daily, we, we're going to rejoice daily in our own salvations and in the salvation of other people. They broke bread and they ate together. We're going to have communion now as well, after, after just at the end. Um, as we come together, we celebrate what Jesus, the life that Jesus imparted into us. And uh, what I just want to say, that for the next, for the next month, or I say next month, <laughs> I can't really put a stamp on it, but just engage with what the, who the Holy Spirit wants to reach through you and how He wants to do that through you. You can't save people. Make a peace with that. Okay? Don't put that pressure on yourself. You can't save people. Okay? But you can love people. It's Jesus that saves. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts. It's the Father that draws. Okay? We go out and we love people. Okay? But as you love, you are going to have to explain the message. You're going to have to preach. Or you're going to have to just share your testimony with someone in loving them. It doesn't help like you're earning a salary every month at that, at that company and at the end of the day, we never put our faith out for the people there to get saved. We're going to draw a salary there and they all go to hell and we think we're doing God a favor by tithing on our big salary we get. God has placed you in your company for a specific reason or He's placed you at home for a specific reason. He's placed you in the context of certain relationships for a specific reason. And one of those central reasons is for you to usher in the presence of God into that place. Amen. In conclusion, sorry, Sebastian, the slide is a little bit further up. You can just look for it. It's under gathering and scattering. So we come to Jesus so that we can go with Jesus. In coming to Jesus, we learn to yoke with Jesus. And we go with Jesus so that we can help others to come to Jesus. And when, we, when others come to Jesus, we experience the joy of coming to Him all over again. I'll just close off with a story. Um, I say story, it's partly testimony probably. Is I've seen this year what God can do if we are willing to be obedient and willing to be bold. I've knocked on certain doors at that university from November last year, which have opened and where I have immense favor with. And this exercise of getting all these clearances, I know a lot of the management at UJ now as well. And our ward counselor that needs to approve as well now wants to come to the event. I just, I've just seen how this snowball effect happens on two levels. We, we did a first year service in the beginning of this year and I think Normalella maybe just went to the bathroom now. But she's a prime example for me. Um, yeah, I think she just went to the bathroom. She's a second year student at, at the university. 
And she had an encounter with Christ at that first year service. And subsequently, she came to a morning service here, encountered Christ again. The week after that, she brought five other first years. The week after that, she brought five other first years. We've been able now to plant four small groups in the residence that she is in, in a matter of three months. Because she encountered Christ, and because she was bold enough to invite others along. And we've sort of, sometimes we lose that boldness, or sometimes we just get distracted. And we, and we get stuck on the risk of what if. What if I'm not going to get a promotion if I, if I start speaking the word in my workplace? Obviously, be wise in the timing when you do it. <laughs> but there are times when you make coffee at work. There are times when you have lunch at work. There are times when you get early at work. There's times when you stay late at work. And for the auditors that work to the middle of the night, you have even more hours with your team. <laughs> and I want to just put it out there that, that God has given you everything that you need to life and godliness and to reach the company of the people around you. And His promise, the promise of His presence is with you. I believe that God is calling, to us, calling us to a time to be bold. Be gentle, but be bold. Like I went to, I went to, the, to the prim of one of the guy's residences and I met him last year, November, and I basically made a proposal to do a first year's program with their first years, etc., and do uh, and invite them to the first year service, etc. Long story short, after the first year services was finished, I went back to him and I asked him, "Tell me your story." And. You know the need that is out there? He's like, yeah, I went to church and I encountered Christ in my first year, but there's nobody that really discipled me further. So I was like, okay. Would you be keen if we do go through this discipleship book together, Walking with Jesus? He's a little bit of verse still from church, and I said, I'm not asking you to come to church. I'm asking you to commit to 40 days of let's do this thing together. And he said, yes, I'd love that. And I asked them, you'll know whether there's other friends in this res of yours that would be keen for the same thing. You're welcome to invite two or three others as well. And he invited three of the other Hawkeye members, and we're busy doing that at the moment. And this is, I'm sharing this part now, not to boast, but to put things into perspective. The only time that those four guys are available together in the week is 930 on a, on a Thursday evening. So I get in my car at 9.30 in the evening. On a Thursday night, I go to campus and I sit with them in their room and do Walking with Jesus with them. Because students, they don't have time on the one side. <laughs> well, they don't have a concept of time. And you know what? Just We, we think that when we just logically think about that, it's like, that's, that's bedtime for me. <laughs> I get back from there at 11, 11.30 and then start doing the Amy Louise runs still. And what broke my heart this week 
is Thursday evening. Um, we're sort of like a coin toss, uh, coin toss <laughs> between. Am I going to prepare for the sermon, or am I going to have quiet time before I go to see them? And I decided to have quiet time and. So when I was finished the quiet time, I picked up the Walking with Jesus book to, to start preparing for when I see them. And what broke my heart is I, I, so I fell asleep there. I woke up only like at quarter to ten. It was really too late to then go and only start at, at ten. So I mentioned, but it just, yes, I was omgekrapen. I was so, I, was, I don't know who I was angry at. <laughs> But it's just that those guys, yeah, it, it just it, it broke my heart that I missed that time with them. And for for some of that, for some of us, it's maybe shaking a little bit. I'm not telling telling you you need to now go and do the same thing. I'm asking you to go and ask Jesus, what is it? Who is it? And what is it that you need to do? And who is it that you need to reach to? You'd be amazed at how many people would be keen to do a discipleship book like that. Don't invite them to, if people aren't ready to come to church, you ask them, can I do this book with you? Somewhere in about week three or four, you talk about the body of Christ. About, I'm not telling you that you have to come to Shofar, but a relationship with the body of Christ is essential. So start praying about it. Where is it that Jesus wants you to be? In which part of the body of Christ does Jesus want you to be? I'm going to start doing this with our gardener as well. Every second week, our gardener comes on Saturday. I'm going to start doing them. And he's keen. And I just, I'm, I'm sharing these testimonies, not to boast, but to actually just show you that it's not that far-fetched. So ask God where and how and who.